0: and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill words and joined again by everyone's favorite co-host, Fabio Fernandez. Fabio, how's it going? Hi, Bill. Happy to be here again. We are great to have you as well on one of the last episodes uh, before the uh, Christmas days. Uh, this is the episode of December 16, 2021, and Fabio, um, you know, this happens every year. Everybody scrambles and tries and gets their topics together, gets their work together before the end of the year. And one of the topics that I know that you wanted to bring up this week, uh, that we wanted to we wanted to discuss and that we've kind of alluded to in the past, um, is is that of um, what is sustainable energy in the future. And how are we going to treat uh, sustainable uh, energy sources? We need a lot of energy. We want to power our electric cars. We want to power our smart home devices. So we need to do it somehow. And there's a bit of a battle in the EU as to what is sustainable uh, electricity production and what isn't. So um, what do you have for us today?
1: Yes, exactly. So we've been talking about that on the Consumer Choice Center, about how nuclear power is greener than people think. So actually the discussion that's going on uh, right now in the European Commission is to include nuclear power and natural gas and consider them as green and to be included in the sustainable finance taxonomy. So the European Commission will have to pick sides between people that are pro and people that are against nuclear energy. And when I say pro and against, I'm talking about different countries. So there are countries that are very active and pro uh, nuclear energy and uh, some countries are not so favorable. So uh, let me just explain a little bit what is the sustainable finance taxonomy. So it's a set of rules designed to provide investors with a common definition what is green and what is not in order to channel more capital into sustainability and also on sustainable Businesses. So uh, France is one of the countries that is leading this group. And the important definition here is if the European Commission decides to put uh, energy, uh, nuclear energy and natural gas into this sustainable finance taxonomy, means that people can now invest on projects into nuclear and funnel more investment into those two new type of energies, which they are new in terms of um, the European matrix of energy sources, but that they have been around for many and many years. So it's not new technology, but uh, how the European Union and the European Commission is considering them to be in terms of uh, sustainability and if they are green. And France is one of the leading groups that believe nuclear energy should be part of the solution. We've been talking about that on the Consumer Choice Center, that uh, we need to include uh, nuclear energy as one of the tools that we have to fight climate change. And other countries such as Bulgaria, Croatia, Czechia, Finland, Hungary, Poland, Romania, Slovakia, and Slovenia, and more recently also the Netherlands and Sweden are also supportive of nuclear. And um we haven't seen, and why this discussion is so important for us today, because uh, we haven't seen a global spike in energy prices that is driving inflation around the world. We talked about that on episode 44 of the podcast, so the listeners can go back and listen to that. Uh, but basically, the European Union needs to diversify in terms of what sources of energy they are capturing or producing energy with, uh, and of course, they want to be the, as green as possible. So this is one of the sustainable goals that the European Union has set for itself. So uh, the discussion now it's very important because we are very reliant on foreign powers, in particular from Russia and the natural gas that is produced in Russia. And nuclear energy is less reliant on imports, which would help Europe in- to solve two problems: first of all, the high prices that we are that are driving inflation, and also our foreign dependency on uh, energy, most likely coal from China and natural gas from from Russia. Uh, and uh, most operators also on the nuclear business they store sufficient uranium to supply for three years so th- also price variations on uranium they they uh, change very little over time so it's more stable in terms of maintaining the prices and it's being uh, reported also by the UN the nuclear energy, uh, carbon emissions is the lowest among electric- electricity sources. So a study recently found that nuclear energy has the lowest carbon footprint, producing uh, within the range of 5.1 and 6.4 grams of carbon dioxide per kilowatt watt- hour. And in comparison, for example, with wind power that produces 7.8 to 20 grams of carbon dioxide and coal that generates between 700 and 750 grams and one kilogram Per kilowatt hour. So uh, the the fact is that nuclear energy is much greener than we thought before, and it's very nice. and And we are very happy at the Consumer Choice Center that the, um, uh, the European Commission is considering to include this as a, a green uh, source of energy for the European Union.
0: Yeah, I would also even add as another and as another point uh, because you didn't mention it is the is the grid stability um if you uh, for instance you know if you switch to if you switch to uh, electric mobility and then people charge their cars or lorries in the evening or whenever it's specifically necessary you have an instability in the grid or a use in the grid that we currently don't have, and if you switch to wind and solar power, and especially solar power, this is the case because well, you don't have the sun at night. Um, uh, nuclear power provides that stability because you actually have a constant supply of energy that is not dependent on on the on the meteorological conditions. Um, I think that Finland is a very interesting example of a country that joined the coalition for nuclear energy because in in Finland, famously. Uh, The Green Party changed its mind on on nuclear power and said, well, you know, if we look at the IPCC report and we look at the energy mixes necessary to fight climate change, this is what we need. And that's why we support it. Um, It's um, what I think is unfortunate in this whole in this whole battle is that the countries I see on the other side of the equation, Austria, Germany, are the ones that are just having a hard time backtracking. So, you know, Germany looked at Fukushima in two thousand eleven, um, derived the wrong conclusion from that that it needs to phase out nuclear energy. And the problem is now that all the political parties have signed have signed on to this because the population supports us and the population supports us because they've been scared by politicians. And now it's for everyone involved, it's a bit too late to go back. I mean, even if you look at the liberal democrats, which are now in government, even there with you know, a party that you would consider being supportive of nuclear energy just has no way of of going back on, on that and that and then i think is so unfortunate because now germany fights tooth and nails together with with austria and others um, my own country luxembourg is included in those because what well, we we can't build our own nuclear power plant because we're too close to the french ones um, so so i think i think there's just a few countries that are that are problematic because well in politics sometimes uh, doing a 180 is uh, is too hard for some people, even though it would be a good one. Um, but but I think one last point that I wanted to mention is be- is is that this EU green taxonomy, because ultimately you know the listeners can say what well, I mean. What do what do I care what the EU declares an investment to be? But there's actually a lot of soft power involved in this, and this guides policy. So if the European Commission decides that nuclear energy is a sustainable uh, um, uh, energy source then individual member states will also treat nuclear energy differently. Um, You know, this can be on uh, your capital uh, investment taxes, Uh, it can be uh, in which portfolio is it's legally allowed to be included in, you know, if you have a a clean technology portfolio as, as I do trying to get my tax money back through all the subsidies and, and, you know, the price keeps going up. Um, then, then that also, that also helps, uh, guiding investors. It it helps guide, you know, citizens who who just put their money in a, in an index fund or or whatever. So, so there's a lot, is a lot there. Um, it would be a great signal. Um, but uh, yeah, do, do you do you know? Did you did you see where we are right now? And do you do you think that maybe next year we can get uh, we can get some clarity on that? Do you think the EU might find a solution on that next year?
1: Yes, uh, actually, people are uh, because the decision now is uh, with van der Leyer, van so uh, she needs to decide and she needs to, uh, as I said. Um, pick sides and choose where where to go. I think she's very pro-nuclear energy. She has spoken in the past about that. Uh, but just to clarify a little bit the reason why uh, nuclear energy is greener or at least a good source of energy, uh, and without getting too technical, but uh, uranium, of course, is the source to generate uh, nuclear uh, energy and uh, it's available from multiple sources. And only a small amount of uranium is required to generate a large amount of energy. Um, and as I said, as much operators store a lot of uranium to produce for many years. Uh, it's a very reliable and it's a very cheap source of energy that produces uh, basically almost zero uh, dioxide, carbon dioxide as as, as a bypass. Uh, and interestingly enough, you also mentioned uh, countries that are very vocal about uh, being against uh, nuclear energy. And Luxembourg is one of the countries which surprises me because Luxembourg is a very small country. It has no other source of um, energy in, in terms of uh, you don't have uh, uh, water supply to uh, do hi- to produce. Uh, energy you don't have a lot of wind you don't have any other one of the, the big sources of energy i don't think luxembourg has as the potential because it's very small but also another one that is very vocal about uh being against is austria but austria banned nuclear energy in the 70s because they did a uh survey with the population the population was scared by by that time about nuclear they banned nuclear also they They built a very big nuclear plant in the 70s, early 80s that was never put into uh, production of energy. So they produced, they spent billions of dollars uh, and they never used it. Now it's a museum owned by a private company but uh, that's one of the countries that it's very against nuclear energy. And France is very pro because 37% of its energy come from, from nuclear. So it's the biggest produced producer of uh, energy from nuclear uh, and Then we have also Germany with 5.1% and Spain with 9.1% of their uh, energy being produced with with nuclear. So those are the countries trying to lead the path because they have invested on the technology, they see how green it could be, how uh, reliable, how cheap the production of this uh, could be. And also, as I said, one thing that is very important for us is try to be less dependent on foreign powers, especially Russia. So I'm very pro um, everything that is happening, especially with uh, the new pipeline between Russia and uh, Germany. I think it's another source of energy, but we should not pick technology. We should not pick winners in terms of which technology we should use. We we should have a very vast number of sources and options that we can turn on and off and uh, use them as we see fit to keep prices low so consumers can benefit from good, quality, greener energy.
2: So I think you know well that the taxonomy regulation reflects a very delicate compromise on the question of nuclear energy. This is something that is well known. It's it's, it's not a surprise. I think you have set out some of the the points there in the debate. I think that while nuclear energy is consistently acknowledged as a low-carbon energy source, opinions differ notably on the potential impact on other environmental objectives such as the environmental impact of nuclear waste, as you mentioned yourself. Um, So we have requested the JRC, the Joint Research Centre, to deliver a thorough, independent, evidence-based report on nuclear energy and technology. Um, We have asked them to request, we requested them to, to, to to look into this and to draft a technical report on what's known as the do no significant harm aspects of nuclear energy. Now, as to what is next, so once this document is is published, what's what's next? It's important to point out that this is only one step in the process. Now, the JRC report will be reviewed by experts on radiation protection and waste management under Article 31 of the Euratom Treaty. And it will also be reviewed by experts on environmental impacts from the Scientific Committee on Health, Environmental and Emerging Risks.
0: I mean, initially in the 70s, the reason, of course, for nuclear energy and developing nuclear energy was was, was not to protect the environment. At, at that point, it was exactly what you said, it was the the, the, the energy independence. That's why Valéry Giscard d'Estaing, as, as French president at that time, um, um, inaugurated this time of, of the French nuclear production. I know that at that time in Luxembourg, there was a conversation in 1973. Uh, my country wanted to build a nuclear power plant in a, in a, in a in, you know, small town. Uh, which which would have been a great idea because at that time the French didn't have their plants at the border yet, and you know there's, there's these IAEA rules on like the distance between nuclear power plants. And the problem is as soon as the French put one on our border, we can't build one on the entire country. We're not that big a bigger country, and. This the 70s, they're marked, I think, in a lot of the German speaking countries, the, the the birth of the the, the you know, what we know as the like the modern green parties, and they protested this because they drew the conclusion between um, civil use of nuclear energy and uh, nuclear weapons, which, you know, they were part of these, you know, the, the, the Green Party at that point, they were part of the, the peace movements. And for them, there was no distinction to be made between the civil use for electricity and nuclear weapons, and so to them, protesting one was pro- protesting the other, and they were very successful in getting that banned because people—it was not that people were afraid of um, of necessarily the the accidents, you know—we was we, at that point was still way before Chernobyl even happened. Um, it's that people were afraid that this would be as bad as a nuclear bomb and you know the cold war looming over europe this was what people were afraid of and so in the german speaking world there's this deep deep trauma um and, and and also this political opportunity for green parties that they know that they came out of this movement against nuclear energy so there's no backtracking allowed and the more the, the green movement progresses, the less likely is it that 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 the Germanic world will come around to nuclear energy. So, um, yeah, I mean, von der Leyen will have to choose between the the government she she came out of at that point, uh, which was was which was under Chancellor Merkel, and the person who actually put her in power, which was Macron. Uh, so a bit of a dilemma there for for her. And uh, well, we'll see how how it goes. I'm I'm very curious how it goes. I'm. I'm hopeful that France's push by not just saying it wants it to be included in the green taxonomy, but but also simultaneously announcing it will build more nuclear power plants in France, which is a big announcement to make. Um, because we didn't know exactly where France was going to go because it was closing down, phasing out some of the old reactors, but actually it was just doing that to build newer models uh so very promising there uh we'll see how it goes it's a it's an interesting fight coming up in 2022 and well eventually commission does have to make some hard choices and and it's very very interesting um fabio i want to go to the next topic and uh so this is something that i've uh, only discovered recently i I don't have that much to say about it but i but i I think it's interesting because politico started reporting on it and uh because i was also not quite aware as to um where the conversation came from. So let me let me explain this. So, uh, Politic also headlines this, and they say uh, the battle over magic e fuels. Uh, so some of the listeners will know we've talked about the phase out of the internal combustion engine. This is something that the EU tries to target for 2035. Now some member states have looked at doing the same thing um, for you know car mobility earlier than the eu deadline now the the, the the new german government is saying that in 2030 so i initially thought it was going to be a ban on the internal combustion engine that is what makes your car turn unless you have a hydrogen car which is rather rare or an electric car um and uh, that's not precisely what the german government did what the german government did was that it said you are you will not be allowed from 2030 on to use fossil fuels to power your car um, well, how exactly that will be defined as a whole thing, because um, synthetic fuels uh, will be allowed under that definition. So these are basically fuels that you make in a lab and it has the same the same qualities and the same characteristics that it needs to to power your car. Uh, what is interesting now is that the environmentalist movement is already very skeptical towards those, and there is a bit of a research battle um, where it's hard to say at this point who's right. Um, over how, like, what is the emissions level that comes out of these synthetic fuels? By comparison, are they just substitutes for the real thing? Um, which, in a way, is also promising, because at least it gives us an opportunity to say, well, well, oil is not running out. We can do it synthetically if we need it. Uh, but also, is like, are these greener? Because I'm not sure if this was a conversation... Um, uh, back when you lived in Brazil, or when you already moved to Italy, because I remember that whole conversation of E five, E ten, so five percent or ten percent uh, uh, biofuels in in the regular petrol ninety five. That at the time was the green solution. Uh, everybody talked about well, E five, E ten. That's already making our fuel much greener. And then people figured out that we need that we need to. Uh, well cut down uh, a forest uh, to 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 make to make biofuels and actually in certain developed regions it it turns out that we used uh, crops that we that could have been used for food in order to make fuel and also it didn't really make our fuel much much more much more uh, sustainable so so there's an interesting battle uh um going on there i'm not sure fabio do you remember any conversations about that uh and uh, no no there were early policy conversations already about making petrol more sustainable uh, any thoughts on, on on the current conversation
1: Yeah, I think it's very interesting. Uh, The background that I have is from Brazil. So in Brazil in the 1990s, especially because of the price of uh, fuel uh, and fossil fuel in particular, uh, Brazil has has been since the 1970s developing cars that would run on ethanol. So it's alcohol. And uh, until today, the mixture between between uh, petrol and ethanol in Brazil is 70% uh, petrol and 30% ethanol even if you so there's no this 98% that we have for example here in Europe which is almost pure petrol so uh, and one of the reasons especially in the beginning of the 2000s was that it's more um, green so it's it's more sustainable in the sense that you use less petrol to power your car. We have uh, vehicles in Brazil that only run on ethanol and alcohol. They are uh, greener in the sense they they emit less uh, carbon dioxide. Uh, but I, I'm super pro having choices and using those technologies to develop and try to be greener, uh, especially because we talked about here on this podcast and also on the Consumer Choice Center, how electric vehicles are not fully Um, green because there is a lot of energy that it's put into uh, making the car, but it's also a lot of energy put into making the batteries that power the car and also uh, how you distribute the energy uh, across countries to uh, recharge your car. So um, a recent study that I remember that we researched for the Consumer Choice Center from Volvo, the manufacturer, found out that uh, to reach a break-even or Uh, let's say, a carbon neutrality into new uh, vehicles, a new electric car must be driven for at least 200,000 kilometers. So this is around 130,000 miles, Um, which I remember that you said it's uh, a nice number. So it's a a pretty average number for a car that you run for maybe five years in the US. But for Europe, that we have small cities, everything is so close. uh, We don't use cars every day probably more during the weekends, reaching that number will take longer. So we need to keep running the same car for longer to reach and to get to that carbon neutrality with electric vehicles. Uh, And also, electric vehicles uh, tie you to specific locations. We don't have a lot of uh, uh, recharging points. And I know that some countries, for example, the Netherlands, and you live in the Netherlands, you can talk more about that. They are very pro-electric cars. And when we talk about uh, Germany, they are trying to find new technologies that maybe are more sustainable. Italy has been talking about hydrogen, which is a uh, Toyota technology that haven't yet uh, taken off because electric vehicles are gaining a lot of popularity, but it's another technology that can also be uh, very helpful in diversifying a little bit and thinking about how we're going to attack mobility in terms of personal mobility in the future in the European Union, uh, going greener, uh, but also uh, not choosing winners in terms of technologies that we are using on, on vehicles.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that we can do. And I know that uh, David and, and Liz at the CCC have already lined out, you know, what, what goes wrong in the U.S. when it comes to electric vehicle sales. Uh, th- there's things that we can do. You know, open sourcing the supercharger, for instance, is is, is a great way of doing that, making that technology available and usable uh, um, uh, for different manufacturers of those who build charging stations. But what you say is absolutely right. I mean, like, who is who are the actual end users, of certain you know especially the high-end electric cars but what you see when you know here in the netherlands is that in amsterdam you will have your nice teslas going around but these are not people actually that that, that do a lot of the distance that requires you to be actually sustainable with your electric vehicle maybe if you use it as a taxi you know taxis will do 170 180 200 000, 000, 000 kilometers um, throughout throughout their lifespan but by the way again we'll have to get some some experience from, from some of these electric cars on how long they can actually do this, especially because, you know, there's a lot of stop and go and, and, and that influences the performance of a car. But the, the end users are not on the countryside. The end users, I mean, that, those are the people who do the longest distances and they are not the ones using it. Maybe the charging infrastructure is part of it. Yes, that can be part of it. But it's also about the cost. You know, if you decide to live on the countryside... Um, there's like i think there's like three main reasons well first of all because you think it's more idyllic and nicer second of all because it's close to your to your line of work that's and that's another possibility but it's also very often because your rent and purchasing prices of your properties are lower and if you choose to live on the countryside because it is cheaper for you to live there are you really the 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 core demographic to buy a tesla probably not probably that is also something that you would like to save on but those are the ones doing the longest distances because then you actually need a car to go to the supermarket. You actually need a car to get a bunch of different things because that—that's where they're needed in Amsterdam. You can also just get a bicycle, you know. So, um, so it's always about it's, it's 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 very it's very like narrow. It's like focused on the politicians in Brussels and what they see, like they see. Uh, uh, the Tesla going around in the city, you know, in the city center of Brussels, and it's a, it's nice for a stock photo and a picture and all of that. But if it actually turns around the way the country uh, uh, uses mobility, I'm not so sure about. Um, and I think one last point on the synthetic fuels. Yeah, I, I I agree. You know, we having choices is absolutely great. I do think it's very instructive, of course, if we find out more exactly on how to calculate the emissions coming from different uh, fuels, because I mean, people do want to know that, you know, there's some diversity already from different uh, brands of petrol stations on, you know, extra fuels, super fuels, and so on. Some of them work, some of them don't, some of them are just like a cheap gimmick to charge people extra, and consumers, you know, need to have that information. So I I am very curious on synthetic fuels to find out more, because we're having an entire conversation about it right now in aviation you know, sustainable fuels in, in a sustainable kerosene and how that can really revolutionize aviation, I think we're closer to that, um, unfortunately or fortunately, than we are to the electric plane, right? So... Um,
1: uh, <laughs> exactly. Even with super uh, speed flight or supersonic flights, uh, they are it's only viable or it's becoming viable because of these biofuels or uh, not fossil fuels um, for, 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 for planes. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you're absolutely right on that.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I think also making us less dependent because, you know, doing it synthetically, easier than having to rely on a dictatorship that extracts it. So, uh, So a lot of opportunities there. But we have another last topic that we wanted to get to before... Uh, before the end of the episode, and so um, I know that um, I—if if, you—if you, you correct me if I'm wrong—but I think we've communicated about this before. Then like, was it last year or something? Um, um, it's about uh, Christmas shopping. Very timely. Um, Uh, For those of you who haven't done it yet, you might want to get around to it because, you know, there's some supply chain issues, uh, you know, this year. And if you order on Amazon, you do want to make sure that you get your gifts on time or going to the shop. So um, but but there's, of course, uh, if you go on the Internet and research your 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 potential gifts, uh, you might run into problems there. And so, Fabio, you have a few tips lined out for consumers. Who are currently looking to get a gift, and uh, uh, you know, not to get scammed. So, what do you have for us?
1: Yeah, we have some tips today on how to shop online safely during the holiday season. And let's start with some basic tips, and I'm sure that you, Bill, will do all of those basic tips. So let's then check if you have uh, done some of the intermediate ones and some of the pro tips. So let's start with the basic ones. So turning on your firewall in your computer, it's a basic one. Uh, Using safe browsers such as Brave, I know you use Brave, and turning on the shields, so that's also a great thing to do. Uh, always prefer to use secure versions of the website, so HTTPS. Or if if you look for the padlock on your browser when you're uh, uh, navigating to a website, those are basic things that you should always do. Uh, not during the only during the holiday season, but you should always uh, keep an eye for for Fa- those things.
0: Fabio, explain explain that uh, briefly for the consumers who might not know exactly what that means. You know, where do what is my HTTPS? Where do I find that? What what does that mean exactly? Like how how does that work?
1: Yeah, it's the secured version of the website. So it's encrypted communication with the server that hosts the website. So you want to use that because you're, you're uh, putting your credit card information, personal information. So HTTPS, and when you see the padlock, it means that it's encrypted, it's secure, and the informa- no one can get to the information uh, on the internet when it's going from your computer to the server. So that's what you want in terms of when you're doing transactions online, to keep an eye for those two things.
0: Mm-hmm. and some consumers will just take the easier road and say well maybe I just trust the uh, the bigger outlets the bigger
1: retailers right exactly but it's not about the big retailers because people can intercept the communication between servers and steal your information that's why the HTTPS is important because the retailer may not even know that you're being attacked and you may not even know that you're being attacked so hackers try to use that to steal your information and then uh go shopping for it for the season
0: <laughs> Ooh, that's that's not good and uh uh, and, you know, the, the way that we've been explained not to go with a bad man offering us candy, also suspicious links. Huh? What should we do about those?
1: <laughs> exactly. So what we should do is to prefer trustworthy websites for big value items. So if you're buying, for example, a TV or a smartphone or things like that, stick with the big uh, with Trustworth websites, uh, big retailers, that's, that's what I mean. Uh, and if you're buying from small retailers, you should look for reviews on well-known websites such as Trustpilot, which is a great source because you can see uh, genuine reviews and also from real customers. So it's not a bogus review from bots or stuff like that. So you want to be sure that people are buying and are happy and satisfied with their purchase. Uh, also, prefer to pay with credit card and PayPal. Credit card because in most countries you uh, you have um, up to a limit, you're covered by the, the brand Mastercard or Visa or American Express for scams or things that happen when you purchase things online. So you want, uh, first of all, use credit cards. Second of all, using PayPal because you can shield some of your personal information using services like PayPal. Uh, but bank transfers are a huge red flag. So if you go to a website or if you're buying something on eBay or stuff like that, if people ask you to do a bank transfer, that's a, a huge red flag because you cannot retrieve your money if something goes wrong. You cannot complain. You cannot uh, do anything about it. And scammers know that and they try to use that uh, as an advantage. So keep on...
0: Yeah, a lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't know about this. If you get something wrong in your wire transfer, it's that's done. gone. Yeah. There's nothing the bank can do. No
1: exactly so scammers try to use that so this is a huge red flag so keep an eye for that uh, and also be aware of too good to be true deals that's as you said uh, if a deal is too good to be true it's probably it is so uh, be careful about those, those those type of deals and also unless it's Black Friday uh, Yeah, exactly And now, lastly, some pro tips. So uh, if you see an advert of a product that you like and you want to buy, uh, don't click on the advert. At least... Uh, try to research a little bit online, Google the product uh, that you're looking for. That's because when you see an advert uh, anywhere, it could be on social media or, or also on websites, it's very hard or almost impossible to tell if that it's a honest, genuine retailer or if it's a scammer. When you click, they can build a whole website that looks like a genuine website, but it's a scam behind it. So you need to be uh, very careful. And when you're being impacted by those adverts, if you click on them, you are being directly to this link that you don't know where it's hosted, what it's happening. But if you see the product, product you're interested in, that you go, you go on Google, you look for reviews. This is an extra layer of protection that everybody should be doing during the, the holiday season. Just because the scammers are uh, looking for for people to scam during this this particular time, from back, Black Friday until New Year's, uh, you you have to be very careful when shopping online. And also be aware of uh, phishing emails. So Uh, if you've been searching for something online or going to a website uh, or especially if you do a purchase online. So let's say you buy something on Amazon. Scammers know that most people buy things on Amazon nowadays. So they will replicate the structure of an Amazon email, send you this uh, phishing email asking for you to confirm your personal information or confirm your payment details and stuff like that. And they steal your information. So uh, if you see something like that, just uh, try to Go to the original website, so for example, go to a Amazon website, go to your account, see if there's any message, anything there talking about confirming any of your information, and you do that directly there instead of clicking on links that were sent to you. And that links me to the last point, which is beware of calls, because nowadays we are receiving a lot of fake calls. Uh, bogus calls, and and uh, we need to, to be aware of that. And also WhatsApp. So uh, it's very rare for companies, especially big companies, to contact you using uh, Telegram or WhatsApp. So if you receive any messages asking you to confirm your purchase or uh, most likely to confirm your address or payment information for delivery, that's also a red flag that it should be uh Keep your eyes open for that. And if you want to know more about your rights, because this is also very important, uh, how long do you have to return a product? Do you, um, if you have any quality issues with the product that you purchase, you can go to the consumer choice center. So consumer choice C Instagram account, go to reels. We have a collection of reels talking about uh, what are the consumer rights that you should uh, be aware or at least uh, take a look to, to shop safely.
0: Yeah, the the, the the robocalls thing and, and those scam calls, fortunately, I'm not as affected by those because if I receive them it's for a Luxembourgish product or safety measures for the banks, they don't speak the language. So that's already <laughs> an immediate red flag. It's a bit like, you know, in Luxembourg, we for a while, we had those fake police officers going around and they would ring at people's doors and say like, oh, you need to pay this fine and so on. But they never spoke Luxembourgish, wow. which is like, that wouldn't happen for a police officers. So it was very obvious people and that that kind of stuff didn't work actually curious fabio
1: yeah but typos yes it's one a big red flag if the email has typos or the uh, website because usually big retailers they don't have uh they have a a huge team that uh, proofreads everything so yeah you're absolutely right
0: so i heard something about this thing with the typos and um um so apparently those are made um uh, purposefully the typos are made purposefully because they want the people who um, who don't have the awareness to spot the typos are also the ones who are more likely to go through with making an actual payment or providing information. So what they're trying to do is sift out the people who have the immediate awareness of, of, of spotting it. Um, so that that is that actually does make sense because you know as a scammer, you don't want to lose your time on people who, who might not end up doing a payment or providing information. So that is actually very interesting that, um, you know, the type was actually part of the scam and, uh, and so, but Fabio, have you ever been scammed online? Any, any personal, um, thing where this happened to you, your credit card information has been used as something, anything ever happened to you?
1: Uh, I had some uh, credit card information stolen, but not from me, from servers, from, uh, places that I, I purchased in the past, but it's very common in Brazil and I have a lot of friends that have been scammed using WhatsApp. So uh, so I, I just like to uh, point that out because people usually don't think about that on, especially here on, in Europe, uh, being scammed, uh, via WhatsApp or Telegram. But this is gaining a lot of popularity here. Also in the US, uh, the, the good thing about the US is that most people use uh, iMessage. It's the most popular messaging app in the US. So they are a little bit safer on that side. But if you're using uh, other types of uh, apps and messaging apps, you should be, uh, be careful with the information that you're sharing.
0: So we uh, gave people some resources here to be prepared for the holiday season. Be safe when you shop online. And as Fabio said, go check out the reels uh, that he has produced on uh, Instagram. You can find those on our Instagram uh, account, Consumer Choice C, And uh, there you have all the other content as well that we produce out there. Uh, Fabio, thanks so much for your time today. It's great having you.
1: Thank you. It was lovely. And wishing you a happy uh, holiday season. Merry Christmas, if you celebrate.
0: Yes, Merry Christmas to everyone. We will have one last episode before the holidays on December 23rd. That will be next week on Thursday. And then we'll be off for a while. Again, thank you so much for for joining us. And uh, yeah, my name is Bill Woods. I'm uh, on this week one half of your host. And uh, see you Thursday.